2: I had a dream of running a campaign based on bimetallism, the Mayflower Declaration, and Carneo's circumscription theory. But the major parties have the machines and the money.
0: Abe Lincoln had powerful opponents. So did every other dreamer who ever tried to lift his thought up off the ground. Odds against him didn't stop those people. They were fools that way. All the good that ever came into this world came from fools with faith like that. You know that, Kion. You can't quit now. You're right.
2: I'm going to get up there with that lady that's up on top of this Capitol Dome, that lady that stands for liberty. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something, and you won't just see scenery. You'll see the whole parade of what people carved out for themselves after centuries of fighting. Fighting for something better than just jungle law. Fighting so we can stand on our own two feet. Free and decent, like we were created, no matter what race, color, or creed. That's what you'd see. We're going to run this campaign the old-fashioned way. Let's go make 20 trays of lasagna. We'll have a big supper and ask everybody to kick in 10 bucks.
0: We'll use the money to buy lawn signs.
2: Really? You want me to go make lasagna just so I can run for office? Hold on, can you turn off that music for a second? Thanks, there's this Walking Dead marathon on right now and I just planned my whole weekend around it, so...
0: (laughs) You can't be serious. You would give up the fight against the two political machines to restore the power of government to the people this democracy was meant to serve just so you could... Hey, are you even listening to me?
2: Don't go out there, Sasha!
1: We didn't want to hurt you. Are they eating that guy's leg? Mm Mm-hmm. We didn't want to pull you away from your group
0: or scare you. But they're not not zombies. zombies.
2: Nope, they're cannibals. That guy Gareth is their leader. You're gonna die, Gareth. Rick is gonna wipe that smirk off your face with a machete. What were we talking about, Greg?
0: I forget. That's your play. Now we're out here.
2: Well, anyway, I'm sure other people will carry on the fight against the big political machines, people who aren't afraid to spend their tears and treasure on the battle for a true democracy. This radio show will celebrate their courage and commitment. And now he's still bitter over his third-party bid for pharaoh, Colin McEnroe.
3: Yeah, it turns out it's even less democratic uh, in a race for pharaoh. So um, let me tell you about what we're doing here today and kind of why, too. So... um, you know, you might have heard in, in the, the speeches that were given there in the intro a little echo of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. But as I said before, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington is really about somebody appointed to office after a coin flip lands on its edge. The real Mr. and Mrs. Smiths have a much harder time. The people who are not fettered by the constraints of, uh, of major political parties, they have a much harder time getting elected. And I started thinking about this in particular, or, or at least what echoes through my head whenever we get ready to do this show, which we do every election cycle. It actually um, applies not to a third-party candidate or a write-in candidate, but to um, – it's a a memory from 2006 when Ned Lamont was challenging Joe Lieberman. And in the first debate, Joe Lieberman kept almost kind of taunting Lamont by saying, who is Ned Lamont? Who is he? Who is – we don't know who he is. Who is he? And I was sitting there watching it on home on my TV and I really – I was almost cheering him on to say, just turn to him and say, who do I need to be? Because I'll tell you who I am. I'm somebody who thinks you could do the job better than you do it. That's who I am. Who else do I need to be besides that? I mean, isn't that the way our system works? Well, ideally, it's the way our system works. But there are a lot of people, and four of them are sitting in this room right now, who think that they could do a better job than the people running for the major uh, for, from the major parties. Um, they think there's not enough choice in modern election cycles. And so they've made their own way um, through different paths. And so every two years, we, uh, we do this show. Now, <laughs> Perhaps unfortunately, initially, uh, we commissioned uh, a theme song for the show. We hired uh, Henry Mancini to write it for us. Uh, and maybe we chose the wrong term at the time. Because uh, what we typically call this show, every two years when we do it, is...
2: One, two, three, four. Get to know your fringe candidate. And
3: retrospectively, Fringe Candidates was not the right choice. But we're stuck with the song now. We hired a lot of other recording artists like Jill Sobiel and hip-hop artists self suffice to do versions of it. So we're just sort of stuck with that. I apologize to the people in the studio. Let me tell you who they are. Rolf Maurer is running as a candidate for state controller with the Green Party, but also running as a write-in candidate for state treasurer. I didn't even know you could do that. We'll find out more about that as we go on. Uh, mayor Ernest Eldridge is a candidate for state representative in the 49th District of Windham and Willimantic. He's uh, the mayor of Windham. Uh, he's uh, running for he's running on the bottom line party ticket. Uh, Todd Cheney is a writing candidate for state Senate in the 6th District of New Britain and Berlin. And Linda Louise Lacasse, Ernie Eldridge and Linda Louise Lacasse, apparently you have to have an alliterative name to do this, uh, is uh, a petitioning candidate for state representative in the 52nd District, which is Summers and Stafford. Um, As we go along here today, you may have questions about why they've chosen to go this route, uh, how difficult it is. Uh, 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. So, Ernie, as you're sitting on my immediate uh, right, I'll, I'll start with you. I mean, I think one common thread going around this table is that notion that there isn't really enough choice. And I assume that's one reason why you're doing what you're doing.
4: Absolutely correct. We had started back in 2007 to form the bottom line party because we didn't feel as though there was a choice. We either had a, a party that was too far left and one that was too far right, and uh, we didn't feel as though that it was working properly. And uh, so that's why we formed the bottom line party. We've been very successful in our town. We've uh, held the last uh, three positions, the head positions. Uh, we had a first selectman, and then we changed to a town manager, uh, mayor, former government, and I've held the post. I was reelected in uh, November.
3: So is there a specific ideology that that the bottom-line party sums up? Is there something that's a common thread running through all those candidacies?
4: Absolutely correct. People before politics. It's it's a simple thread. I've I've heard it on other uh, people's uh, when they're giving out advertisement as far as them running, but uh, that that came from ours, people before politics. Accountability is a a big thing, and I don't feel as though that a lot of the major parties are accountable for what their actions are, and I think that the bottom-line party can serve them better.
3: I mean, a lot of people would say well i could run a people before a politics campaign as a democrat or a republican why why, why do i need to start a, a whole new party and, and and introduce that new element
4: well as i said before one is too far left the other is too far right we run kind of the middle of the road is where i run i, I, I sometimes can be conservative sometimes i can be the other way but uh, i think that it's just what the people would like is to have someone that's accountable someone that they can talk to someone they can sit down and being successful i mean i reelected as mayor, so we must be doing something correctly.
3: Uh, indeed. So as we go along here, as I said, if you have a question, 860 275 860 275 Before I introduce the other three, I'm going to say that we're going to talk with each one of them about what they specifically believe, why it is that they uh, are running what uh, set of uh, what their, essentially what their platform is. or uh, But we're also going to talk about the difficulties of this. Uh, it's Willimantic, I think, is kind of an exception and just to the degree to which third-party politics uh, have worked pretty well there. Uh, but uh, by and large, this is a pretty hard thing to do. There's some real structural impediments to it. Uh, we'll talk about what those are, uh, too, uh, to as we go along. So, um, Rolf Maurer, you really are doing kind of a remarkable thing. You're the Green Party's candidate for controller. You're a write-in candidate for treasurer. Maybe before we go through some of your ideas, ideas, and, and you have a lot of ideas. I just went through a three-page small-type list of your, a lot of really interesting ideas that you've got. Before we start out on those, though, why are you running for two offices at
0: once? Well, for the Green Party, it's about boosting our visibility. Uh, there are many barriers for what I prefer the term additional parties as opposed to third parties uh, in terms of how the media operates, public perception shaped by the media, um, to a large extent what's going on with the Secretary of State's office, and what I've seen over the years running for various offices going on in the polls. Um, so it is, it's, it's admissible to run for two offices. You can't, of course, if you went by you know, the remote chance you win for both offices, you can't hold both of them. If it's even physically possible, that would be illegal. Um, and, of course, um, in 2000, uh, Joe Lieberman ran both as uh, vice president and also was trying to run to retain his position in the Senate. So it's not without precedent. No, it's
3: not without precedent. It's a little bit more unusual to be running for two uh, essentially adjacent constitutional offices a, mm-hmm. at the same time. But but Godspeed is what I say. <laughs> uh, and and just, just quickly, just sketch out a few of the ideas that you think are are, are, are keys to your candidacy.
0: Uh, well, my platform statement, it revolves pretty much about three or four concepts. Um, transitioning to a hemp-based uh, economic infrastructure for the state of Connecticut uh, just recently that uh, the latest version of the farm bill has a provision to legalize uh, a hemp industry in the United States, and now there are ten states that are looking to legalize it not not um, cannabis but hemp mm-hmm. um, in, and
3: what, to what, in what sense I never understand this so all this has to be explained to me anew, but mm-hmm. I feel like i 've you know owned i don 't know clothing that was made out of hemp and stuff that was i mean in what sense is hemp not legal and in need of legalization.
0: Uh, well, it used to be legal in this country, uh, of course, you know, in the founding days. And um, it was rendered illegal before World War II. Then it was made legal and then it became illegal again. And it was part of the war effort for war material. Um, but the, the neat thing about it is that it's very diverse. You can do so many things with it. Um, Make of course um, food stops uh, supplements nutrients. We're finding out there are a lot of medical applications for cannabis alone, which is of course a related plant. And um, most famously, it's known that Henry Ford produced a prototype automobile that ran on hemp fuel. Um, so it is an, it's an incredibly uh, versatile
3: substance. Yeah. All right, so hemp. Uh, mention one or two other uh, ideas. Oh, plastics. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, no, I mean, mention one or two other ideas uh, about your your candidacy. Oh, right,
0: yeah. Um, Well, uh, another concern, and these are two closely um, related concerns, um, have to do with protecting the electrical grid in Connecticut and potentially the whole country from the prospect of a, a coronal mass ejection.
3: That's like a solar flare, basically.
0: Yeah, this is something that a solar flare produces that can just totally destroy the electrical system. And uh, we've had episodes of like this in the past in the 1920s and I think 1850, late 1850s, uh, when this phenomenon was first uh, identified by uh, um, his name was Carrington, a a British uh, scientist. And back then, you know, the extent of electrical and communication technology was telegraph systems. And they were all burned out because of this thing. And we
3: should, so we should, I mean, a coronal mass ejection. Uh, aimed the, the right or the wrong way. Uh, I mean, if you think that, that the Halloween outage of a few years ago lasted a long time, that's nothing. It could really crush the grid. It, it, it might be months and months and months before the power got back up. Very quickly, ordinarily, this is sort of not the purview of either the controller or the Treasurer to protect us from uh, solar flares. I mean, what does that have to do with the office you're running for? Or are you just trying to get some important ideas to the forefront?
0: Well, both. But in the case of what I'm running for in this particular instance, I've mentioned this before in previous runs, um, it's a good job generator specifically for Connecticut because if so many military contractors, high-tech companies. The utility companies don't want to do anything about this, even though the National Academy of Sciences and NASA brought this issue to Congress. The House completely voted in favor of doing something. Senate didn't because they're closely connected with them. But we have companies like um, United Technologies, Electric Boat, that have the skills to produce countermeasures to protect key areas of our electrical grid and it would be a great jobs generator, too, an opportunity for them to get used to diversifying away from just serving the Pentagon because they could sell this material, like uh, surge protectors, to uh, utilities all around the country. Um, a particular concern is uh, nuclear power plants that would be vulnerable to meltdown. We have uh, less, than less than 104 now in the country. They could all potentially become uh, Fukushima scenarios within a week to a month if we have one of these episodes and there's no way to keep a fuel rod school.
3: And I know in general you've got a lot of ideas. I read your position papers uh, about the transitioning of Connecticut from uh, a a defense-based economy to um, a a lot more of these kinds of essentially peacetime but very necessary ideas. You've got a bunch of ideas about that. But let me just give you a chance to very quickly name one more idea that's sort of part of your platform this time.
0: Um, Well, the related issue that's of concern to me is seeing if we can make Connecticut a TPP-free zone, that is the Trans-Pacific Partnership, an international uh, trade agreement involving, uh, I believe, 700 corporations that are, for the most part, th- this is an arrangement that's done with 12 countries, including the United States, that would put the sovereignty of the participating nations in jeopardy because the interests of corporations would always come before the interests of civil society. Uh, we found out through WikiLeaks that there are about 24, 25 chapters in it. Only four or five of these of this document actually have to do with uh, issues of trade. The rest of them have to do with coordinating other aspects of civil society, so that everything serves the profit interests of corporations before what we need in terms of, you know, uh, decent appliances, clean air, and things like that. And if um, the government on the federal level a state, even a municipality, does something that a corporation perceives as a threat to its profits, they can be taken to an international court of arbitration, which could supersede the authority of even the Supreme Court.
3: All right. I'm going to just stop you there just to make sure we have time for all kinds of stuff. Yeah, uh, Rolf also has an idea for uh, a state bank, uh, not unlike the Bank of North Dakota. If we have time, maybe we can circle back to that. That's a really interesting thing. So Todd Cheney, uh, tell us uh, once again what it is you're running
1: for and, and why you've decided to go this route. Yeah. So I'm running for the position of state senator in the sixth district, which encompasses New Britain, Berlin and a piece of Farmington. Uh, The number one reason I decided to put my name out there for this is because Terry Jaritana, the woman who currently holds the position, she's a Democrat, has no opposition in this race. Uh, The republicans failed to put up a candidate and no one else wanted to step forward from any party. I decided that the people of New Britain need a choice. There's many people that are happy with what she's done. There's many people that are unhappy with what she's done. I just figured I'd go out there and say, hey, if you need a different choice, I'm here for you. Let me just ask the Joe Lieberman question. Who is Todd Cheney? We don't know. Who is he? Well, who are you? Uh, I'm a lifelong New Britainite that is just willing to listen to the people. I mean, people know that I'm a Member of the Green Party, but I have a lot of Republican friends who are behind me. We have very different viewpoints, but we're able to, you know, go grab a beer and talk things over.
3: Um, and in, in general, if you had to mention sort of one idea that symbolizes uh, what you're running for, what what you'd be
1: uh, pushing for as a member of the General Assembly, what would that be? So my biggest issue is the way the state deals with the education cost sharing formula. I actually got this idea from one of the Republican candidates running for House representative in the 24th district. Essentially, we just need to overhaul the entire formula, work better. Uh, Bobby Sanchez of the 25th district said he'd like to see the state fund 100 percent of New Britain's education costs, but he didn't really give an idea of how to do that. There's a way we could work out the formula where we would be providing 100 percent of the cost for cities such as New Britain. But it wouldn't be a permanent thing. It would be once you get back beyond these barriers, you would start taking (coughs) responsibility for part of the cost.
3: Um, so, OK, well, we'll pause that idea for a second. I want to make sure we meet uh, here in this first segment, all, all the members of our panel. So our last, but certainly not least, is Linda Louise Lacoste, a petitioning candidate, which means you're, you've got uh, onto the ballot by via petition for state representative in the 52nd District uh, of Summers and Stafford. Uh, first of all, tell us, why are you running?
5: Number one, I love Stafford and I love Summers. I've devoted my last 26 years in charity work in both towns, from the American Legion Executive Board to the Catholic Daughters to the General Federated Women's Clubs, the Rotary, the Northern Connecticut Land Trust. So, And my husband's a soldier, and he has 16 more months, and he's in the National Guard. He was in Afghanistan, and we're very devoted to uh, local politics, state politics, and, of course, our nation.
3: Is there a particular thing that you the uh, same question I've sort of been asking everybody I mean an idea a policy that that you're kind of known for that 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 uh, energizes your your campaign
5: first and foremost is my charitable giving I think is the most important thing i'm in the trenches, so i'm involved with children teaching eighth grade as faith formation. I have a girls' club called the earth angels they're eleven to eighteen. And I'm in the trenches, I know who's homeless, I know who's hurting, and I know who's hungry.
3: I guess what I'm also asking though is let's say you got elected uh, to the general Assembly. I mean would there would there be a bill uh, that you'd be proposing uh, a particular area of policy that you'd be pursuing?
5: Well, first and foremost, uh, Penny Bakiaki was the leader of our district for six terms, twelve years, and she didn't win the lieutenant governor's sh- Uh, Position on the Republican ticket: 108 people from Stafford did not vote for her, and 208 from Summers did not vote for her. That was 316 voters. She won. She lost by a slim margin of 700. And the biggest concern of the people that lived in her district was that she was out of touch with them. So uh, it's real simple: A, B, C. I'm approachable. I'm available. And all aboard, I have an 800-LINE, 1-800-US-LINDER. I've had it for 26 years. When cell phones were not part of our game plan, I wanted my four children to always be available to me. And so eighty seven was US and twelve years into the game someone said, Is this one eight hundred US lender? And I said, By golly it is. Eighty-seven is the number of my home. So first and foremost, I believe every rep should have an eight hundred line so that they can be available to their constituents. Just like a, a priest is available to its congregation or the minister is available. You need to be available if people are hurting. They need to be able to reach you. I'm right in the trenches of Somersville, Connecticut, Route 190. So I live with all the mill houses that are there. And B, I'm a bridge builder. My gift is I'm the oldest of five girls. My mother was a widow at 22. And I've always been the one that had to do things first. Even when it became protecting my little sisters, I was there ready, willing and able. And C, Connecticut still is the constitution state. So our culture, our Constitution is being compromised, and I believe we the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and last but not least, um, just um, be there be there.
3: Right, so you've plagiarized your entire campaign statement. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, all right, so...
5: Right, to school for you, Colin. All right, so here Why we go. Why reinvent the wheel?
3: Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, so let's grab a quick break here. Uh, I want to talk to th- these uh, folks about just how hard this really is, particularly if you don't live in Willimantic. Uh, we'll come back after this. Know
1: your French candidates.
3: Are you rolling on this, Patrick?
1: Okay, I said get to know your <laughs> French <fringe laughs> candidates. <laughs> Crazy ass French candidates Not a chance in hell of getting elected French candidates French candidates and then you have something something from the something party, yeah. And then you have him speak, you know, just a little Yeah, then you have dun dun dun, 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 dun. You've into this more than anybody. 1
3: That, of course, was the McLovin's playing the Get to Know Your Fringe Candidates uh, love theme. All right. So we are uh, talking to write-in candidates, petitioning candidates, third-party candidates. And one of the things that all of you have in common is this is just way too hard. Um, And, and Rolf, just for a second, I want to focus for a moment on the citizens' election program because you're a candidate from the Green Party. Uh, you're also a writing candidate. We'll get to that in a second. But a uh, candidate from the Green Party, you guys got ballot position. Uh, you, got, you got a lot of things that would be pretty helpful for a third-party candidate. But I'm assuming none of you has managed to qualify for the citizens' election program. This is the program that provides public financing of political campaigns. Uh, it's extraordinarily difficult uh, for third parties uh, to get there. Uh, I, I'm assuming nobody from the Green Party did it this time.
0: Uh, not to my knowledge. Um, I was just talking with Ernie in the lobby before. It's kind of like uh, if you have an insurance policy, it's kind of like a deductible. You have to reach a certain me- measure of expenses of your own before something else kicks in to help you out. Um, it's just a convention that's just designed to keep the system in the hands of the two parties that think they have the right to control the political system. I mean
3: this, this is – just to sort of make it clear, not only do you have to um, – f- do everything that a, um, a major party candidate would do, but you have to collect signatures, more, way more signatures than you need to get onto the ballot. Right. What are you going to say, Ernie? Go ahead. Just chime in.
4: I was going to say it's double. You have to give double the money, double the uh, signatures. Uh, and I found this out because I was the uh, treasurer for a person who ran in the Republican Party a few years ago. And I was at a meeting and, and this uh, third party candidate stands up and says, why do I have to get twice as many and twice as much money to get the same amount that these people are? And they yeah. really didn't have a great answer. You would have to get, I think for a full grant
3: and a statewide run, 220,000 signatures, something like that, I think. Uh, I mean, that's a really hard thing to do. You have to get 20%. Uh, um, of the electorate. It's some, it's some insane thing like that to qualify for a full grant. You can also qualify for partial grants by getting to 10 or to 15 percent. But this is all, still, even the 10 percent, that's like 110,000 signatures. That's really, really hard to do, prohibitively hard to do. That doesn't uh, seem fair. So um, I want to just quickly go to the whole writing question for a second. Todd, this is got to be the hardest thing in the world to do. I mean, in, in terms of qualifying, I don't think you have to do too much other than get
1: your signature, uh, get your name ready registered with the secretary of state, right? Yeah. I mean, that part was easy. I just went up to Hartford and handed in a piece of paper with my name on it, basically. But I mean, I'm not appearing on the ballot. Anyone who doesn't know my name, who doesn't know that I'm running, they don't know that I'm even available to be voted for. They're just going to fill in the bubble for my opponent just because she's the only one there. So what, what can you do about that? What have you figured
3: out at a grassroots level or a shirt sleeves level or whatever you want to call it? What are you going to do about that?
1: Well, the big thing is I just have friends and family helping me out. I have everyone's just posting on Facebook, "Hey, my friend Todd is running for this. Write him in." Bottom line, row th- or, uh, column three, row G. Just write it in. Um,
3: can you? Are you allowed to accept campaign donations? Like, if I wanted to give you like ten bucks for lawn signs or something like that, could I do that?
1: I could, but I could accept campaign co- contributions, but I'm not because it significantly complicates the process.
3: Yeah, okay. So, but you conceivably could. All right. So, but it it's more paperwork, more stuff like that. Quite um, a bit more. Yeah. So you have, like, have to have people signing forms and reporting stuff and
1: all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I just... I don't don't have the time to do any of that.
3: Yeah. So, um, Ernie, I mean, I think you've been able to see this a few different ways, right? I mean, from uh, different perspectives, from this perspective of conventional politics, from uh, the convention of third-party politics. Um, I mean, how how does it look to you in terms of the barriers? You've managed to establish the bottom-line party in your town anyway as – you know not just an ad hoc thing
4: but an ongoing multi-cycle force absolutely my my ace in the hole was that I was on zoning board of appeals for like 10 years and I was a selectman and then I was also elected as mayor so I have name recognition which always helps when you're running for anywhere but uh, as far as the state rep you need a little more than just name recognition you need a little bit of you know oomph and what you're going to do but last uh, two uh, last year I ran into a barrier uh, what happened was the the democrats and republicans had put bill together. And it was a two-page line in a 90-page document that said that the third parties had to sign an extra piece of paper saying that they're running for whatever office. And uh, the town clerk did not pick up on it. They did not send it to the third party, our chairperson. And so it came down to a point where Ernie can't be on the ballot. What do you mean, Ernie can't be on the ballot? He can't be on the ballot. So we had to go to court, get a judge to give us a judgment against the town clerk, and force use. that person to be on, force that person to put me on the ballot. And uh, so they've tried to put barriers in your way. There's just absolutely no doubt about it. It was because I believe what had happened was some candidate was put on a a third party ballot that said, I didn't plan on that. Nobody told me or asked me to be on that ballot. So they decided that they would put a little barrier in your way. But um, it's, it's something that's unusual. And Denise, Merrill, and I are, are very good friends, and I called Denise, and I said, hey, you gotta straighten this out. And she said, I can't do a thing about it, so. But we ended up going to court, and there was other people also over Middletown and, and Belltown and that area. Some of those lost their third party bid because I, of that.
3: I think last cycle around, we had somebody from Middletown mm-hmm. who was in the middle of a fight not unlike yours. Yes. So, Linda, um, I know one thing that you believe is that we live in, in a new era. Not only do you have a 1-800 phone line from the, from the 1980s, but, I mean, we live in a, an era of of social media, or maybe you can kind of go around some of the typical barriers and, and get in touch with people using other kinds of means. How's that work so far?
5: Well, I have my one 800 us Linda banners all over the place, from Stafford to Summers. I've been campaigning with my campaign mobile, which said, Linda Louise serves Stafford and Summers with passion and purpose. So that's been riding around town for the last several months. I have my signs, as you can see here. There's yeah. my beautiful face. Right. If, if only and you notice, know. notice, gents, since I'm the only rose in this g- group of thorns here, that it just says Linda Louise, because I'm like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back. You. And I don't like to waste <laughs> paper, because if you waste paper, what happens? We throw it in the trash bins. Not this sign. This is going to be used from now until the Messiah comes, baby. Watch out. And there's my face, just in case. If you
3: can (laughs) overcome your natural streak of shyness and reticence, I think you may uh, (laughs) uh, have something. Now, my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you tried to petition into the Republican primary uh, initially, and and that didn't work uh, out too well for you, right?
5: Well, it worked out beautifully. There was a glitch, though. Being unfamiliar with the particulars, I didn't realize that the Democrats that switched to Republicans had a 90-day grace period, so 13 of those people didn't count. And then another dear neighbor and friend, she got 13 signatures, but she neglected to notarize it with the notary republic, so I was three signatures short. But you know what? It was divine providence because my intention was always to be unaffiliated because come heaven or high water, I was going to be on that ballot no matter what. Mm
3: Actually, uh, Providence voters are not allowed to vote in uh, Stafford or Summers. Uh, uh, but um, all right. So, by the way, as we go along here, we'll take Dan's call in just a second, 860-275-7266. Rolf, how complicated is all the paperwork?
0: Um, well, in my experience, we've had to go to uh, the Secretary of State's office a couple of times. The uh, first time I submitted a form to get a petition so I could collect signatures uh, when I was running for a state representative, I got a phone call from the um, uh, the office stating that they weren't even going to send the form to me because it was already too late. So we had to go there to prove to them that we did in fact send it on time and it came down to an issue that it was a matter of somebody picking up the mail from a mailbox and walking it across the hall or to another building and that was the reason for the delay. So I ended up having to run as a write-in candidate. Um, Another thing that's complicated is what's going on at the polling sites. The people that man the polls are just really uneducated and the Secretary of State's office doesn't seem to be interested in appropriately training people. So, you know, I'm as a write-in candidate for treasurer. Uh, Todd's running as a write-in candidate. If you go to the polling sites, you often have to deal with people, the poll workers. If a voter is there and says they want to write for a write-in candidate, sometimes the poll workers will say there's no such thing. We t- tried to deal with the uh, Secretary of State's office to say, well, can't we post these the names of these people in the polling site? And the closest we can get to them to a definitive response is that, well, there's no law that says we have to. I mean, there's not a very productive attitude. So um, you know, there's a lot of this sort of uh, haranguing going on and paperwork issues. And we've had to – there's also been problems with the polling machines. We've had to um, – I got like a handful of extra votes that I found out were kept in an envelope of the Registrar of Voters in Stanford and all this came about because a friend of ours who's a democrat was working at the polls and she no- he noticed somebody was opening up one of the machines the um uh you know you sip the yeah. paper into it you know circle fill in the hole fill in the dots and this was reported to the secretary of state um the treasurer treasury um, <coughs> registrar of voters but her attitude about it was very defensive and she wrote down the name of the person that was being vigilant and said well he's not going to be working at the polls anymore hmm. so it seems that you know it's a combination of just vested interests and just lethargy. People are used to having things be a certain way, so they don't realize that a real democratic system should have not just three, it should have four or five parties, um, and maybe a chance for somebody to to run as a writing candidate. Todd, as
3: running for in a smaller pond you're playing small ball a little bit compared to trying to run a statewide campaign for a write in we should say that it's not undoable I mean Mike Jarjura, maybe not the most typical example but somehow or other as incumbent mayor of Waterbury uh, in a recent cycle had to run as a write-in <laughs> candidate only in Waterbury could this happen but also so only anyone. He, he just made the whole campaign about being a right-in candidate and and he got reelected but um so Todd for you 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 at least can be at every or have somebody at every polling place that's relevant to your run, I would assume, at least to sort of, I mean, even to stand out there at the limit, uh, the 75-foot limit or whatever it is, with a sign that says how to spell your name and all that kind of stuff.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I have a fairly large contingent of friends and family who are have told me, you get a sign, I'll stand out there all day and hold it. I've got a lot, like I said, I have a lot of Republican friends. They didn't manage to put, a, put up a candidate for this position. So, the whole Republican Party is backing me, which is kind of strange for a member of the green Party well i you know
3: it 's weird because we do this show every cycle, and i 've discovered one of the things that happens and I think it probably happened for you guys a little bit down in the lobby uh, like I, it was uh, john what's, john merton 's was running, who's a very left-wing kind of guy, who was running, I think maybe on the independent party line, I can't remember, and, and Tom Marsh was running uh, on, I can't remember who was running for what party, uh, but anyway, when we, when we did the show, it turned out these guys, who had very different political beliefs, had been touring around the state, sharing the burdens, the slings and arrows of having to be a third-party candidate, uh, and, and it, it had united them in a way that their ideologies never could have, and I mean, they had more in common as a result of Having to do that. So I'm sort of not surprised that Republicans are, are rallying around you. In some ways, this kind of cuts through ideology. Ernie, do you find we're going to have to go to a break here pretty soon. Do you find that it's difficult to get taken seriously? You have a, a party called the Bottom Line Party, which almost sounds like, you know, it doesn't sound like a party anybody's ever heard of. You're a, a third party candidate. I mean, is, is it hard to get the same kind of gravitas uh, projected onto you that, that would be from a, a major party candidate?
4: Not at this time. Mm-hmm. When I originally ran, yes, because I think that the perception of a third-party candidate or write in candidate <clears throat> is that the person is kind of either way out in left field somewhere or maybe came down from outer space. But uh, I'm not that type of a person. You just get disenchanted with two parties, and you just want to be someone who's the servant for the for the uh, community. And I can take it seriously. They can take it seriously now. But when I started, yes, they all felt as though. Even my mom said, hey, you're, you're what? You're going to run a third party? Do you know how hard it is? And my mom is my biggest supporter, my biggest critic. So
3: It's like being a pro se defendant. Everybody just assumes you've got to be nuts to be trying to do this uh, this way. All right, here's Dan and Willimantic uh, from uh, Ernie's Neck of the Woods here. Uh, hi, Dan, you're on the air. Hi. Uh, basically, you were hitting on the same question that I had. You know, historically, people just kind of like look at it and say, well, we got two parties, Republican and Democrat. And they don't really give a thought or have a, an inclination that maybe perhaps there's some something else out there for Uh, me the voter. How do these candidates, um, how do they face that challenge of being, well, I'm not Republican, I'm not Democrat, I am X. Hmm. And people are not used to X. How do you overcome that? Well, you know, let me just uh, shift this over to Linda for a second, too. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, There's A, there's B, there's C. I believe B is bridge builder. Uh, I knew that. Okay, so... um, what we've seen here, and, and one of the things I think that, that people in general are demoralized by, is a growing sense of polarization between the two parties. You know, to a certain degree, that's true of the state general assembly. At the national level, it is almost impossible to arrive at consensus. The, the two parties seem to be more invested uh, in fighting with one another than they are at reconciliation. Um, so, um, so do you position yourself, giving that B stands for bridge builder, as somebody who can get beyond that somehow?
5: Uh, you use the word demoralized. I'd use the word disenfranchised. There's 5,000 unaffiliated between the towns of Stafford and Summers. There's 2,500 Republicans, and there's 5,400 Democrats. So the numbers are on my side because most of the Democrats that were Democrats have switched to being Republican only because of my enchantment. But at the end of the day, between those that love me on all three segments of society, I'm in it to win it.
3: All right. Um, does anybody else want to sort of comment on this whole question of polarization? It does seem as though, I mean, um, a, a congressman who's been serving for, let's say, the last eight years or 10 years his I, there's a good chance that congressman's never been on what they call a committee of correspondence, which is when they try to reconcile uh, bills from different chambers and stuff because they don't do it anymore because they, they don't ever reconcile bills. They don't. I mean, this is a system that where enmity seems to be more important than accomplishing anything. I mean, Rolf, I'm assuming this is one of the things that you're extremely troubled by.
0: Um, I'll actually take the opposite position. I try to communicate to people that the two parties do, in fact, work a lot um, If you just compare the assertions, for instance, in the 4th District, um, the House, uh, we had Christopher Shays, then we had um, Jim Himes. And if you listen to how they speak, they use the same phraseology. Like when the Patriot Patriot Act was passed, um, Chris Shays pointed out, well, you know, he voted for it, but he's going to keep an eye on it because it's subject to abuse, never mind the fact that it's designed already to abuse our rights. Then Himes comes along, and then with the passage of the National Defense Authorization Act, he says exactly the same thing. I'm going to keep an eye on it, never mind the fact that he voted for it, and it gives the president dictatorial power. Um, so I like to point out for another example is that speaking of the National Defense Authorization Act, Obama ran against um, uh, McCain after he won the election, won his second term. This was passed. It allows him to essentially abduct any U.S. citizen, put them in a kangaroo court situation associated with terrorism without, you know, meeting your, you know, know, having um, uh, habeas corpus is pretty much thrown out the window. And um, now the president has fought. He lost lost a suit in New York uh, led by uh, Chris Hedges and other journalists, but he took it to a higher court, took it to the Supreme Court to appeal it because he wants his authority for the presidency. But the interesting thing is that The current version of the National Defense Authorization Act was co-sponsored by uh, John McCain. Mm -hmm.
3: So I I take your point, which is uh, in some ways not a dime's worth of difference. In other ways, too committed to fighting uh, these things out to a stalemate. We're going to take a quick break here. I don't want to run out of time. I want to make sure we have uh, time for everything else on the other side here. So our number, remember, 860-275-7266. You may tweet us at WNPR. Colin, we'll be back after this hip-hop version. (laughs) Get to know the candidates on the fringe Everything they do is bound to impinge They make a lot of noise like a squeaky hinge Everything they represent, it's got kind of a tinge Maybe they're nosy and maybe they're pesky They get messed up like Ken Kraevsky. It's kind of hard to represent when you're vanilla ice, So I'm handing it
0: off to self-suffice Oh, so suffice, got some advice. Because, you know, a lot of politicians get hated. But it's just because they're not nominated. A lot of more people need to have their voice. It's called representation, the point of taxation. When we come through, let's have an examination of the fringe candidates. And, for matter of fact, let's end the discussion when we shout out to people just like Chris Hutchinson, who be saying their own points of view, even if it might be annoying you.
2: Remember, if you write in my name, you have to write it as Kayon Marie Julia Gladys, Khalil Danger Onion, Eslin, Morrison Walker-Wolf IV, or it won't count as a vote for me. And don't forget, there's an I in Gladys, not Y. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me, with help from our interns Jackie Filson and Josh Naleya. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. Katie Tolarski is our executive producer. The part of Bill Curry was played by H. Ross Perot. For show pages, articles, and the Faith Middleton Show staff's recipe for third-party fundraising lasagna, visit our website, wnpr.org. On tomorrow's show, How Long Should People Live? And now... Back to Colin.
3: Yeah, tomorrow's show is uh, particularly based on uh, the latest medical advances in life extension, and the the anticipated medical advances in life extension. Uh, It's going to be um, the case that what we think of as a normal uh, human lifespan will, in fact, be extended by many, many years. But is this a good thing? Is it an ethical thing? Are there other things that we need to uh, consider as we extend people's lifespans well into the one hundreds? All right. So that's coming up. Then, right now, we're talking uh, about third party candidates, write-in candidates. Eight six zero. Two seven five seven two six six. If you have a question or a comment, eight six zero two seven five seven two six six. You may also tweet us at wnpr. Colin. I want to talk a little bit about how the media handles this stuff. Now, um, if you're um, uh, if you're running in a sm- on a more small ball level in, in a town where there's a, a local press, uh, maybe you get a little bit more attention. Although. Um, uh, Todd Cheney, I'm thinking as a writing candidate, I don't know. I mean, has anybody covered you? Have you been able to
1: get any uh, news media coverage at all? Well, actually, uh, the New Britain Herald wrote up a little article about me. I, I've had – my family has uh, been interviewed by them a couple times for some fundraising we do. So they were pretty familiar with me when they saw my name pop up. Mm.
3: um And and one of the things that does – well, actually, let me just ask you all a little bit more about that. Ernie, I'm assuming the bottom line has been around in Willimantic long enough so that uh – uh, at least local locally and that 's all
4: that really counts in an election like yours, you can get some kind of coverage absolutely correct. We have our own hometown newspaper, and i 'm fortunate because being the mayor of the town i 'm in the paper all the time talking about the issues that are in town, so I get the coverage that I need through that local paper and they they ju- they have been excellent to me, and uh, we have a local radio station also, and uh, my wife and I have a radio show that we do, and i can 't do it right now because i 'm running for office, so she 's carrying on for me but uh, so uh, yes. The media has been good to us, but not not necessarily special to me and not mm-hmm. special to my opponent but uh, but they're they're excellent as far as coverage
3: mm-hmm. Linda Louise what about you Does the media take you seriously
5: oh i've been very blessed with uh, the post and email internet newspaper she did a five page article on me then she did another follow up and then she just did another follow up yesterday and then the northern Connecticut uh, newspaper that 's our local paper as well It comes out once a month. So they were very generous and the J I also is uh very generous with me. So and then I was on the Dan Lavallo show, I was on a podcast and I'll be on WDRC on Saturday morning. So I have been indeed ingratiated. Is that the word? Gratiated. I am grateful for their attention of me. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that's impressive, actually.
3: <laughs> I, this, this isn't the, the, the Little Orphan Annie story that I'd intended to tell in this segment. Except, Rolf, I know the Green Party never feels as though it's really sort of given the kind of attention or status that, that, it's, that is warranted given how long the, the Greens have been around.
0: Um, yeah, well, this round for me, it's, it's really been um, quite positive. Um, I was interviewed at the Connecticut, um, Connecticut Post. Um, they also um, did a video candidate interview with me, uh, also the Hartford Current, and uh, the New Haven Register just yesterday. And, of course, I was. there was only one debate in the state for the offices I'm running for. I was included in that. And... Um, so Not bad. Uh, yeah, and and uh, for in, in I think what it's attributed to is that there were two private polls between August and October. The first one indicated that Connecticut voters would be interested in voting for me. I got 8 percent of the vote um, in this this one. This is from a company I think in Florida. The next one that was found out through um, uh, one of the reporters, uh, the Hartford Current, and this is why they called me in I believe for um, – the editorial interview was uh, the reporter looked it up, but he used a different polling organization in, I think, uh, North Carolina, and they found that my uh, rating had increased to 12 percent. So I attribute this that people are just looking for other options. It's, it's quite clear that with the two parties that we have, and they're sort of like two branches of one corporate interest, that the uh, similarities are becoming obvious, more obviously greater than the differences.
3: All right, you know, we actually sent um, one of our roving reporters out on the street to ask about uh, third-party candidates. Uh, let's uh, should we hear Vox number one? Then it sounds like we have a couple little clips there. Why don't you play that now?
1: Why do you think we don't hear more about third-party candidates?
5: Um, we probably don't hear as much because they just don't have the financial backing that the other candidates do. Because they have huge parties, you know, pushing them forward, and it, that's the main thing.
1: Probably don't hear about them because. Um, Hikers were controlled by the government. They try control the uh, the money and uh, who's whose voice who get, and who gets seen. Who knows who? You know, talking like the underdogs, right? Yeah, they're they're unknown. Yeah. I feel like the
2: news sometimes is biased and can be strong armed, and we don't hear about candidates that we should hear about, and there should be
5: more of a grassroots movement
2: so we can understand more.
5: Um, I think the news is just inundated with the political battle between Republicans and Democrats, and so I think so so many people are consumed with that, that um, the third-party candidate doesn't really have a voice, and um, so unfortunately they kind of get pushed to the side.
3: I think Josh Nilea collected those voices. I think we have some more, too. We'll put it up on our website, wnpr.org, later. Um, Very quickly, running out of time here, Um, it only really applies, I think, to two of you. Uh, Not an issue for Todd, I think uh, less of an issue for Ernie, but... uh, The word spoiler, the S word, comes up sometimes. Uh, It probably comes up maybe a little bit for Linda Louise and and, and for you, Rolf. Uh, Linda Louise, has anybody called you a spoiler, said that you're basically going to— I assume that if you pull votes from anybody, you'd pull votes from the Republican nominee.
5: The S word is salvation, not spoiler. Okay. (laughs) And, Rolf, I agree with you. It's the same bird with two different wings, the R wing and the D wing. I believe I am a refreshment to what's out there. People cannot wait to see me at that LOB, and I'm looking forward to it.
3: All right. Uh, I can't wait to see you at the (laughs) LOB. I I promise you that. So, um, Rolf, what about that? How about the S-word?
0: Well, when I first heard about it, I was talking about this in the lobby uh, with the others, um, I'm assuming the term didn't exist before the 2000 election. But for me, that's just an admission that the two prevailing parties... Don't want. It's an admission. They only want them to be defining the race. Um, if they were really interested in a competitive race, they would be welcoming of other entrants. Um, of course, he could take the attitude and you know, analogically to how can you spoil a system that's already corrupt.
3: Good point. All right. All I've got time to do is thank you and um, make sure that people uh, check you out. Ralph Moore running for a state controller as a Green Party candidate and state treasurer as a write-in. Mayor Ernest Eldridge is a candidate for state rep from the 49th District. Todd Cheney running as a write-in candidate in the 6th Senate dis- District, New Britain and Berlin. Linda Louise Lacas petitioning candidate for state rep in the 52nd. That's Summers and Stafford. Thanks for coming in. Today, we'll be back tomorrow.
5: Candidates seem rude, but what's really
0: rude is not being inclusive. So let's hear what they say and not be elusive. And you know that politicians seduce us with all kinds of messages. But what the truth is, if you want to know, hit the Colin McEnroe show. Mandate. French candidates. French candidates.
1: (laughs) Okay, that was perfect.
2: Awesome, you guys. I'm Kyone Wolf running with the Humble Brag Party. Your inflatable rubber tube should be tax free. It's so much nicer than my 80 foot yacht because you get to be closer to the water.